Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come together as your people this morning to praise you, for you are indeed worthy of all praise. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that not only is he our Savior, he is our good King, our good Lord. And this morning, we have the privilege to be sitting under his word. So we pray that his word may dwell in us richly, admonishing us and teaching us that we may be equipped for the good work that you have prepared in advance for us to do, and that your church may mature, and that you may be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat, brothers and sisters. Well, very good morning. We'll be looking at Ezra, chapter 7 and chapter 8 this morning. If you can turn your Bible to 7 and 8 to get prepared, that would be good. And the outline can be found in the bulletin, and you can follow the talk through the outline there. Well, God, I have sinned against you. I have strayed away. I have forsaken you. I have displaced you, and I have replaced you with idols after idols. God, I'm lost. God, I'm sin-wrecked. God, how can I be restored? If you have been a Christian for a while, you would know that this is quite a common sentiment, isn't it? It is a common sentiment expressed by a new convert who just discovered how sinful he has been, having turned away from God and his ways all these years. It is also a common sentiment among Christians. It could be Christians who have been willfully cho- who have willfully chosen to ignore God, in one or some or all aspects of their lives. It could be Christians who have drifted away into idol worship and over time have grown complacent in the idolatry. But now they've come to see and they've come to see that they have strayed away and that they have sinned against God and they desire to be restored. So the question is, how God, how can I be restored? Most of us here, I believe, can identify with this sentiment. So let me ask you, how do you think God restores the broken, sin-wrecked people? What needs to be restored? In the past few weeks here in SMAC, we have been studying the book of Ezra. And we should know by now that Ezra is all about restoration. God restoring broken, sin-wrecked Israel. Today in Ezra 7 and 8, we will continue to see God's restoration plan for Israel and what that involves. I hope that by the end of this talk, I shall have shown you from Scripture God's answer to this question. God, I have forsaken you. How can I be restored? First, let me do a recap for you of what we have already learned from Ezra in the past few weeks. Ezra concerns restoration. So let me ask and answer my own question, four basic questions concerning this restoration. Firstly, who needs restoration? God's chosen covenantal people needs restoration, Israel. Israel is no longer the the strong nation that it once was. Northern Israel has been wiped off by the Assyrian, southern Israel captured by Babylon and taken into exile. 
Secondly, why? Why need restoration? When we read the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, we learn that Israel was in exile because God was disciplining them. For they have sinned against God, they have not listened to God's prophets, they have hardened their hearts against God, they have been unfaithful, following the abominations of the nations around them. As a result, God raised up the Babylonian army to be his disciplining rod against Israel, for Israel. He sent them into exile, he destroyed Jerusalem temple, and the cities and the walls were destroyed as well. But when 70 years of exile is over, over, God began his restoration work on Israel, as he has promised. Thirdly, who is it that restores Israel? In Ezra 1-6, we see various kings involved in this restoration. We have Cyrus and Darius and we have other sexes. But the one big thing that we learn from Ezra 1-6 is this. Who ultimately was working sovereignly behind these kings to restore the temple and to bring joy to Ezra? We should know the answer by now after three weeks. It is God, isn't it? God who does it. Fourthly, what is it of Israel that needed restoration? Well, two things that needed restoration. Firstly, in the first half of Ezra 1 to 6, we see that God is at work to restore the temple. That's right, the temple. Secondly, in the second half of Ezra, which, which we will begin today, 7 to 10, we will see God at work in restoring the Torah, which is God's law, God's word. So it's very easy for us, for you to remember. Just remember the two things, the two T's, temple and Torah. In the past three weeks, we have seen God restoring and preserving Israel through the restoration of the first T, temple. Today, we'll see God restoring and preserving Israel by restoring the second T, Torah, which is God's law. Two things to restore, two T's, temple and Torah. I can hear you asking, or I'm hearing voices, but why, Kenneth? Why is it that to restore Israel, God needed to restore the two T's? Why? Well, let's first talk about the temple. The temple symbolizes God's presence with his people. It is where God came down to live among his people, communing with them. He is their God. They are his people. So when Israel sinned, at the heart of their sin is that they have displaced God and they have replaced him with idols, serving them and trusting them instead of God. In reality, God was no longer in the rightful place that he should be in their lives. So since God was no longer present in their life, they have polluted the temple with the abominations. The holy God did what was rightful. He removed himself out of their presence. He destroyed the temple. So after the exile, by restoring the temple, God is signaling to his people his desire to commune with them again. The restored temple symbolizes a renewed presence of God among his people. That is, God is again providing a place, providing a way through which Israel can commune with him. Friends, do not understand, do not underestimate the restoration of the temple and its sacrificial system because that is what makes it possible 
for unholy, wicked, sin-wrecked Israel to stand before a holy God with all their sins atoned for. Without God providing this temple solution, sinful man cannot even get a single mile or even a single light year close to God. That is why the ability to stand before God, the holy God, the possibility of even come to His presence must first and foremost be restored before there is even any chance of further restoration. And that is why right after the exile ended, what did God do? God immediately worked sovereignly through the kings to help Israel rebuild the temple so that they could stand before Him once again, so that they could live in His presence once again when their sins, with their sins atoned for. Can you see why now temple restoration is so important? To restore broken sin wrecked Israel. Well, that is temple restoration that we have been looking at. Now we'll turn our attention to the restoration of the Torah, the second T. Two points in today's sermon, so the first point on your outline. In Ezra 7 to 8, or in fact Ezra 7, all the way to the end of Ezra chapter 10, we will see God continuing to restore Israel, and he does it by restoring the place of the ruling Torah in their lives. Point one, God restores and preserves Israel through his ruling Torah. Let me show you now from the passage how I come to this conclusion. Firstly, we'll focus on the first 11 verses of chapter 7. Here the book turns its focus and attention to this man called Ezra. He was introduced to us in Ezra 1, in verse 1. Uh, in verse 1 we learn that he was an Israelite who was returning from, Jerusalem to, uh, from Babylon to Jerusalem. In chapter 1, we saw the first batch of Israel, uh, of exile, returning under the reign of King Cyrus. Here we see Ezra returning to Jerusalem under the second batch during the reign of Artaxerxes. We also learn that not only Ezra is one of the many returnees, Ezra was in fact the appointed leader for the returnees. He's like the reformer that God has chosen for the returnees. Let's take a look now at the text and take note of what is being emphasized as we are being introduced to Ezra. Just to find out what kind of man God has chosen to lead Israel, to restore Israel. And hopefully this will help us to further understand what is needed to restore sin-wrecked, broken Israel by looking at what kind of man God has chosen to lead them. Verse 6 says, Ezra is a scribe. He is a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. That is, he is skilled in the, scribe, in the word that the Lord God has given to Israel when he rescued them out of Egypt. Verse 10 says, Ezra is one who has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach God's statutes and rules in Israel. Verse 11 says, Ezra is a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So all in, what kind of picture do we get of this man? We have someone who is an expert in God's Torah, his law and his word. 
one who is devoted to studying it thoroughly and wholeheartedly. And not just understanding it cognitively, inside out, but having a, having a firm grasp and a great familiarity with all the materials, but also he's one who is totally committed to doing it. It says there, isn't it? Doing it, devoted and convinced to living it out, as well as teaching others to do the same. God chose such a man to restore sin-wrecked Israel, a skilled scribe, a true and true man of God's word. But don't you ask yourself, why? Why such a man? Would you have chosen Ezra to restore Israel? It's worth thinking about it, isn't it? Let's keep reading. Chapter 7, verse 12 to 26, the next chunk. We have a letter. A letter from the ruling king, Artaxerxes, written to Ezra. The letter basically charged and gave Ezra the permission to lead and to govern the Jewish returnees in accordance to God's law. Verse 14 says, Ezra is sent to Jerusalem to ensure proper observance of the law. Verse 21 says, The king decreed that whatever the priest, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven requires, let it be done with all diligence. The emphasis is that he is a scribe and the law of God is in his hands. Verse 25, the king decreed that Ezra appoints magistrate and judges. Why? He has to do it according to the wisdom of God so that they may judge the people in accordance with the law again. And the end of verse 25, Ezra is to decree and teach, is decreed to teach God's law to those who do not know the law yet. Well, it is pretty obvious that Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes is doing all this not out of the recognition that Israel's God is God or his God. No. Throughout the whole letter, he frequently referred Israel's God as your God, the God of Jerusalem. Verse 23 hints that the king is doing all this just to gain a goodwill of all the gods that have been worshipped in his empire. Verse 26, he even put the law of God on par, on, on par with his own law. But nevertheless, as we have seen in Cyrus and in Darius in the past few weeks, God is sovereignly at work through pagan kings to achieve his restoration purposes. Verse 27, it is God who put such a thing into the heart of King Artaxerxes. So in reality, Artaxerxes was issuing a decree for Israel to be strictly ruled by God's law. He did it for his own good. He did it for his empire so that he can achieve control over his empire. But God was at work through Artaxerxes to allow his chosen scribe Ezra to restore his people. How? By ruling over them and teaching them using God's law. And that was how determined God was to restore his law in the life of his people. So I hope, can you see by now why God chose such a man, a true and true man of God's word to restore Israel? It is because God desires his people to be taught and to be governed, to be ruled by his Torah, his law and his word. 
through Ezra, God is restoring Israel to being, to being ruled under his law once again. Think about it. Right after God brought Israel out of exile and he has renewed the presence among them by restoring the first tea, the temple, what's the next thing that he did? He re-established the second tea, Torah, in their lives. He put in place a skilled scribe to lead and to guide, to govern and to rule Israel. How? By his Torah, by his word. Why does he do that? Because broken and lost and sin-wrecked Israel is broken and lost and sin-wrecked because they have displaced God. They have not listened to God's prophet. They have not listened to God's word. They have not lived by God's good law that God has given to them to live by. To restore Israel, God's law must return to its ruling place in their lives. And in chapter 8, we see glimpses of this happening. We see God's restoration at work through Ezra, his chosen leader and his reformer. Verse 16 says, A skilled scribe, we see this skilled scribe proactively reviewing the Israelites the people and the priests when he and the priests and when he found out that the levites were lacking he acted on it and he recruited them verse 21 Ezra led the people into godly living living a life of trust and dependence upon god they humbled themselves before god they fasted they relied on him for safety of their families as well as their goods verse 28 Ezra stood up to remind the people of their identity they are holy to the Lord. The vessels are holy, helping them to see things through God's lenses. The silver and the gold are freely a free will offering to the Lord, so guard them and keep them well. Take the Lord's work seriously. So what we have here is that we have a small glimpse of a restored community, a community restored to be under God's rule again, a community led by a scribe who is saturated and devoted to God's law himself and in turn leads and teaches others to do the same. Israel is once again ruled by the good God through his good ruling Torah. And when we remember the context of the Israel, of the exile, we see that not only was God restoring Israel through his ruling Torah, God was in fact preserving Israel through his Torah. How? During exile, the northern kingdom was brought to Assyria. There, they were systematically assimilated. Basically, no more Israel. The southern kingdom was brought to Babylon, as we have seen in the past few weeks. They were settling in their lives there, and they were in danger of being assimilated into the Babylonian culture. What did God do? God pulled them out through Cyrus. Post-exile, Israelites were still living in Jerusalem, were back to living in Jerusalem. But where is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is under the Persian Empire. They are still in the danger of being assimilated. They were still living as aliens and strangers in a foreign land. What does that mean? It means that the Davidic line is hanging on a thread. 
For Israel is in danger of being completely wiped off from the face of the earth. But God didn't let that happen, and God wouldn't let that happen. He acted to preserve his people. He preserved them through re-establishing the temple and the Torah for them, to keep them rooted and reminded them of who they are. They are God's chosen people whom God has rescued out of Egypt. God made a covenant with them. God gave them his law so that they are his people. Let me try to draw to a close and tie the strings together. We have seen today that in Ezra, God was restoring and preserving Israel. Through the reestablishment of the two T's into their lives, the temple and the Torah, right? More specifically, from Ezra 7 and 8 this morning, God was restoring and preserving Israel through his Torah, which is his law, which is essentially his word. These two T's sit at the very core of what is needed for Israel to be restored from brokenness, from God-forsakenness, and from sinfulness. The temple is rebuilt so that they can have a right standing before God once again, living in his presence. The law is restored so that they can be guided and ruled by God again, by his word. What Israel needed to be restored is what anyone who is made in the image of God needs to be restored. What Israel needed to be restored is what all of us need to have any hope of restoration at all. We need the two T's, the temple and the Torah. But that doesn't mean that we're going to build the temple or that we're going to read the law. We need the first T, the temple. Symbolically, it means we need a way to come into God's presence again as sinful people with our sins atoned for. Is that possible? And we also need the second T, Torah. Symbolically, it means that we have God's good word to guide us and to rule over our lives once again. And we are not lost following here and there. And brothers and sisters, let me ask you these questions. Haven't we got that in the gospel? Yes, we do. We have it in full. We have the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, through whom we can now stand before God. He's not just the temple. He's the high priest. He's the sacrificial lamb through whom we can now stand blameless before God, come into his presence. And we also have the teaching of Christ, which is the inscripturated word, the Bible, through which Christ guides us and rules our life by his Holy Spirit. So friends, we have seen that Israel needed two T's to be restored. And that is why Ezra didn't stop at chapter 6, if they had needed only one T. They needed two T's. That's why there's chapter 7 onwards. And friends, God's people today, we need the two W's to be restored. The incarnated word, Jesus Christ, and the inscripturated word, the Bible, to be restored. The gospel did not end with Jesus dying on the cross for us. Jesus ascended on high, sent his spirit, gave us his word to restore us. That is God's good gift and blessing for us. 
His word by His Spirit to teach us that we may be ruled by Him again, a good king. And since our focus today is on Ezra 7 and 8, which focuses on the restoration of the Torah in Israel's life, as God's people, we cannot escape this question that the passage confronts us with. And the question is this. What place does the inscripturated word have in your lives right now? Is it in its rightful place, guiding and ruling your life? Let me end by sharing with you one of the best books that I've read so far, and I've read it recently, and one of the most challenging books. The ABC, my ABC Bible verses, Hiding God's Word in Little Hearts. Most challenging, seriously challenging. Let me just uh, share with you something that I read uh, about two nights ago. So in each of um, this lesson, there's a verse that is given, and we have to teach the children what is this verse about. And that night, the verse is Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Simple, isn't it? I mean, like Luther says, God's word is not difficult. It's so simple that even a plowboy can understand. But it's not easy. Let me read to you. One day, Missy was quite upset. Missy is a little girl that is throughout the book. Missy was quite upset. He was trying to learn to jump rope. He, she tried a few times and got all tangled up. Missy threw the jump rope down and grumbled. I just can't do it. I'll never learn. Missy's mother watched from the kitchen window. Would you like a snack, Missy? She asked. As she poured out a glass of juice, she said, Missy, I've noticed that you don't work at something until you learn it. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This doesn't mean we can do everything perfectly, like jump rope, but it does mean we can do all things God tells us to do by his word. Missy, listen, and tell me how can we do all things Jesus wants us to do? Where do we get the strength to do it? Missy, listen to her mom repeated Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Missy answered, Jesus strengthens us. He gives us muscles. Is that right, mom? The mom laughed. Well, Missy, it doesn't mean muscles in our bodies, but it means that Jesus gives us spiritual muscles, spiritual strength in our hearts and minds. He gives us grace to obey God's word. So I guess he gives us spiritual muscles. Missy went back outside to practice jumping again. She, her friend Jennifer came along. Jennifer laughed at Missy. Ha ha ha, you are so clumsy, I can jump rope much better than you. Missy almost said, I can ride bike without training wheels. You are a baby with those training wheels on your bike. Before the words came out, Missy remembered what she learned a few weeks ago from Proverbs 15. A soft heart turns away wrath. But she was so angry, she thought, I can't give Jennifer a soft answer. I'm just too mad. Then she remembered, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Missy whispered a prayer in her heart. Jesus, please give me spiritual muscles to give a soft answer to Jennifer. Jennifer was still laughing, but Missy didn't feel angry anymore. She laughed too. 
I know I look funny, she said. Will you help me to learn how to jump rope? Sure, Missy. I'm sorry I laughed at you. If I help you learn how to jump rope, would you help me to learn how to ride bike? Ah. This is just one of the many challenging passages. And I think how this is related to what we have been looking at is the Word of God is so simple, what it says. Um, but it is so powerful that it applies into our lives. God gave us Christ. He died for us on Calvary to save us that we can live no longer as unrighteous people, but being transformed by His Spirit. And His Word, as what we have seen here, can change and transform the lives of children and our lives. And He gives us strength to do that. But we must allow the Word to actually speak into our lives. And He strengthens us to do that as well. David Cook, as you all know, that came about two, three weeks ago, something that he taught us in the preacher's conference that challenged me is that he sent his son off to America to study, and in the car, his son asked him, Dad, uh, what do you want me to remember? He says, uh, just remember one thing. For everyone, take, do four. For everyone, do four. That is, for every one minute that you spend on reading God's Word, reflect on it four minutes. Right? Allowing the Word to shape and to mold and to transform you. The Holy Spirit to change us to be more and more like Christ. And that's how powerful God's word is. And that's why God gave the Torah to Israel after they rescued them from Egypt, after he rescued them from slavery, uh, after slavery from Egypt, after he rescued them from exile. And that's how he shaped and most his people after he rescues us from our slavery to from our sins today. Yeah? So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, your word that, that guides and teaches us. We thank you that your word is living and active. Your Holy Spirit, uh, whom your Son sends, work through your word to teach us um, uh, your ways. We thank you that your word is uh, doing its work in our life to restore us, to heal us, uh, to point us to Christ and to transform us to be more like him, for his glory. And we rejoice when we see the word at work uh, in our lives and in the lives of our brothers sister and sisters in the church. And we pray that here in SMAC, that your word will continue to do its work, that Christ will continue to rule this church uh, by his word, and that you will be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.